0: Jesus uh, came down to the earth. He lived for a little over 33 years. <clears throat> for the last three, three and a half years, he spent that time preparing apprentices. And the reason why he did is after he died and rose from the dead, those apprentices were to guide and instruct the church and jesus christ is coming back but from the time he rose and ascended into heaven to the time he returns to take us into heaven we're stuck here on this earth and he gave us something called a local church to help us out on our way now, we've been talking about the local church for the last couple of weeks. I'm trying to share what that local church is and what it is not, why we're here on this earth. Last week, we looked at it and we likened it from the a passage in Ephesians 2. It's like a household. We describe the difference between a house and a home. The sun shines in a home, whereas the sun shines on a house. Churches are difference between the Elks Club because God is on the inside versus just a group that we get together for any other social reasons. Two weeks before that, we likened it to the passage in Ephesians 4. We likened it to a platoon, a very tight-knit group that's effectual, that's got each other's back, that covers each other's flank, which is a good thing in this world that we live in today. Today, I would like to jump to a different book. I'm going to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and God likens the local church to a human body, a human body. I probably have one more installment, and next week I'd like to look at the local church as God likens it to a bride, a bride. I find it interesting, of the four passages, those descriptions of a local church, three of them are in the book of Ephesians. Usually we think of Ephesians as that uh, theological book, especially with chapters 1, 2, and 3. But then we go there and we find out this practical instructions about us being here on earth. So if you have your Bibles and would turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'd like to read that passage. I'm going to save a little bit of time. I'm going to start at verse 12. So I'm at 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 12. I want you to notice that uh, in chapter 11, that chapter 11 is talking about a local church. They're talking about that group coming together for a communion service. When you start off in chapter 12, it's talking about a local church. It's talking about uh, all the different gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit in that local church. And here's a list of all those different gifts in the first half of this particular chapter. And then in verse 12, it starts off like this. And I want you to pay particular attention to the word body, body in this passage. For as the body is one and hath many members, all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. I want to take a little time later on to talk about verse 13, what that is, what that is not. I do believe that's the local church here. This is not regeneration. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not the body, is it therefore not the body? In other words, in a human body, you have different parts. Now, this is the tough part. We do stand out in that we're different, but we don't stand out in terms of one is more important than the other. That's very careful, okay? We are different, but different is good. Man made, I'm sorry, God made man and woman We are different, amen? But one is not better than the other. Together they come together, and when they're together, they're good. You got it? Yes? Someone nod yes, yeah? Okay, God made man. I made this joke a couple weeks ago. He made man. He looked at man. He says, let me take another run at this. Yes? Then he made woman. Put us together. Together, we show the image of God. Got it? We're different. Not one's not better than the other. We're different. Same thing in a local church. We're different. You got a hand, you got a foot. Okay? Yeah. When I cook, I'm glad I don't have all feet. Although it might look like that sometimes, right? But when I need to. Cut the grass. I'm glad I don't have all hands. It's nice to have feet when you, I mean, you know, there's different specialties of the body. We are now in verse 16. And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling but now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it pleased him. So just as he made your human body and he gave you some kidneys and he gave you some lungs and he gave you a heart and he gave you a brain and he gave you hands and skin and all the different parts, that makes up a human body. Well, that's what he did to the local church. He gave young people, he gave old people, he gave blue collar, he gave white collar, he gave males, he gave females. Amen? That's what makes up the body. And believe it or not, in a local body, the pastor is not the head. Jesus Christ is the head. My goal is to get up here and show you a picture of Jesus Christ. And if I'm really, really good, you're going to see a couple fingertips on each side of the painting. And I'm hiding behind everything else. That's my goal. This is about Jesus. It's not about me. Or any pastor. 17, uh, actually 18. But now hath God set many members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now all are, are many members, yet one body. Let me keep on going here. Verse 21. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow the most abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacketh. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice. Now, ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. God is using this illustration to describe a local church. He is not stopping and saying, wait a second, time out. This is the middle of the gospel. I'm going to give you an anatomy lesson. He's trying to take something you know very familiar with yourself, and you know, uh, let me tell you the story of a pitcher back in the 30s. There was a pitcher named Dizzy Dean. He was a 30 game winner. He was a very good pitcher. And he had a chance to play in an all star game against Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. I think that's the story. And he wanted to pitch against them really, really bad. And he got his opportunity in the all star game because I believe he was in a different league. But the problem was he had a sore toe a sore toe. So what he did is when he went to throw the ball and he landed on his front foot, it hurt for him to land on that front foot. So what he did is he altered his stride just a little bit so when he landed, it didn't hurt his front foot. Can anyone guess what happened? He wrecked his arm and his career was over. All because of a bruise on a big toe. Okay? Well, that example is what the local church is about. When we have a member that's hurting, we all hurt. And we don't alter our approach to avoid that because it's going to wreck the whole body. It's just a picture. Okay? A couple more verses in this passage. uh, But I'll get there later on. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to share with you what we've been talking about for the last couple weeks is... That the local church is when the Lord is present and when the Holy Spirit is working, we have everything we need. Now, my fear is when I present a message like that, we're going to run into the wrong, another ditch and we're going to become isolationists. I don't want to become an isolationist. So there's, there, there's, one, there, there's one ditch and that's where we got this mega structure that God never intended. And that's what today we'll be talking about. And it's, it's a top-down. God never intended that. But the other ditch is where we're totally by ourselves. And God didn't intend that one either. So somehow we got to figure out how to drive down the middle of the road. Got it? But I just want to remind you, some of the things a local church can do. Did you know a local church can plant churches? We don't need some megastructure to do this. And we're thinking, wow, we're pretty... We we don't really... If we can do that, we don't need anything else. Oh, yeah? If we don't need anything else, where did this church come from if another church didn't plant us? Do you understand? We got our roots there. Yes? So we can plant churches. And you go to Acts 15.3 to see that. We can evangelize. We don't need an evangelistic board to tell us where to go. I've got several friends that over the internet someone read or heard their sermon and they said, wow, that's different. Can you come out? And the preacher said, yeah, I'll be there. Give me a couple months to get all my shots and I'll come across halfway around the world. We don't need a megastructure. We can evangelize. And there's an example of that in Philippians 4.15. We can Adjudicate. In other words, we can come together, and if there's a problem, we have the personnel to do that. Matter of fact, I love this passage we just read in 1 Corinthians 12. It says the less honorable members. If you got some less honorable members, the Lord said put them on the jury in your church. If you got got two brethren in a, in a church that are having a row, get the less honorable members. Put them on the jury and let them decide it. Isn't that backwards the way we normally think? We can take care of welfare. Remember it says take care of the widows in the church? Those are the ones in your family. So the church doesn't have to. But if there's a woman that is a widow that doesn't have family, it's the church's responsibility. I don't know what happened back in the 30s. We gave everything to FDR. FDR. And we left FDR to take care of the poor and the hungry and the people without clothes and our aged, didn't we? That's not God's design. We can heal. James 5, 14. Are any sick? Call on the elders of your church. We've got the power to do a lot of things. We think, oh, we're just this little group of people here in Roanoke, Virginia. We can't do anything. If the Lord's present, we can do anything. We can go into prisons. We go on rescue missions. We can make a difference. And you know what? You can choose your own pastor too. You can choose your own pastor. There's a lot of folks that feel like, no, this is your placement. This is where you go. This is who's here. I was at a, this is when I was in Athens, Georgia. And uh, in in, in this particular county, they were having a lot of problems with teenage pregnancy. So a couple of the ministers in the area wanted to have a great big youth meeting. And they invited all the pastors of Madison County, Georgia, to come to this meeting. And they said, we would like to address the real issues of this, and we want to address the high pregnancy rate in Madison County, Georgia. So we, I ended up coming. And what happened was, is there was a, and it turned out there was this, I don't want to name an organization, but there was one particular domination that was kind of leading the charge. They had the biggest church in town, and they invited everybody to come, and all the preachers showed up, and, and, and they gave me the nod, and they said, okay, Dolph Painter, you can have one of the slots. But what we'd like to do is we'd like to have a trial run because we want to make sure that what you say is in line. So I gave my trial run, and the pastor was aghast at what I said because I talked about sex. Sex. And he said, you can't say that in our church. And I said, your kids are watching worse on primetime television. Nothing I said was Bible. It was all in good taste. It's nothing I haven't said to you over the years. And one of my members pulled me aside and said, Dolph, you just don't understand. My uncle was a pastor in this particular order. And you got to understand that they rotate every two years. So they're there not to rock the boat. Your message would rock the boat. My thinking is completely different. When I go to a place to pastor, the kids I pastor in their teens are the ones I'm going to have to pastor in their 25s after they get married, are the ones I'm going to have to pastor in their 30s when they have children. I've got a long-term perspective, and I'm going to shoot straight with them. Do you understand? Okay. We can choose our own pastor. It's not this two-year rotation. You're out, you're through, someone new comes in. We're invested with the people. Okay. But I want to talk about sister churches. Sister churches are good. I know sister churches are a Bible term. But I can go see the interaction in the Bible of churches between churches, and they can be a good thing. We want to be connected, but not controlling. We want to have fellowship, but not lordship. There's a difference. Do you understand? And here's one of the things that that's a good benefit. Ministers, ministers, think back how many pastors that came within the ranks of Mount Olive Church? How many pastors have you had over the 50 years that came within the ranks of Mount Olive Church? Probably not very many, huh? Where'd they come from? Other churches. Yes. Let me give you this example too. When I first got here about an hour from here is the Pulaski Church, and they had a preaching gift. You all know who he is. He's filled it for me. Their pastor, Brother Don Signal, called me up and says, I've got this preaching gift. Will you do me a favor? Would you have him come speak at your church once or twice a year for a couple of years? Just tell me what you think. I said, sure, we'll do that. That's an example of a sister church. Do you understand? It's a, it's a practice. He just wanted another opinion of what do you think of this preaching gift? What advice would you give him? And I'd say I'd recommend A, B, C. This is okay. And I don't know if he took A, B, C if he just took A and C. I don't know what he, or maybe ignored it all. I don't know. But, 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 but he asked. That is a blessing of having people that you can do from. You can, you can draw on that. Okay? charity. Here's an example if if you remember in the Old Testament, not in the Old Testament, the New Testament, when the church got first got started in Jerusalem, all the Jews that converted to Christianity, the Jewish community came down hard on them. And they couldn't get any work. They 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 were blackballed. They were blacklisted. And if you were a carpenter, if you were Uh, a a stonemason, you couldn't get any work because you were one of those heretics that left the Jewish faith and they were hurting. So what happened was is Paul, as he went and evangelized, he says, they're having an economic hardship down there that we need to help these folks out. And that's exactly what happened. There's a preacher that's preached here about five years ago, Brother Jeff Winfrey. A year ago, a year and a half ago, a tornado come through and absolutely leveled his church. He had nothing left. And churches throughout the United States helped him rebuild that church. Well, that's exactly what was going on here. Fellowship, but not lordship. God designed us to help each other out. Okay? And then there's good old fellowship. <clears throat> you know, I like... <clears throat> I like to have ministers. We have a guest minister. So far we've had three different ministers speak to us this year. It's only August. Maybe we'll slip in another one or two before the year's over. I know I'm not the whole package. I might have a strength in one area, but there's weaknesses I have. And if I have weaknesses in another area, I want to get preachers that have those strengths to come in and speak a weekend for us to try to bolster us. It's not a popularity contest. It's not a a who's the best preacher contest. The contest is is who can feed their congregation the best, and if I'm missing a part, I'm going to bring in someone to plug that hole. You got it? Really? Okay, think about it this way. Let's pretend you were homeschooling your kids, and you felt pretty good about your language arts, your history, and your math, but you were really weak at science. Do you think you might want to hire a science tutor for your kids? Th- that's all that is. That's all that is. Prayer. People prayed for each other. Ch- churches were praying for one another. You know, I just forgot the most obvious one. We just did something at the beginning of the month. What did we have the first weekend of the month? We had a singing school, Right. If you're having a singing school waiting on me, aha, you'd had been in a lot of trouble. So we asked a brother from Alabama to come and lead our singing school. And you know what? He did a pretty good job preaching for us Saturday night and Sunday morning too. But that's just a blessing of being connected with sister churches. I couldn't do that. There's, 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 <coughs> there's different gifts in this church, but no one could have done what Brother Derek Kitchens did for us that weekend. I was very thankful for him coming and doing that. Okay? and counsel. Now I find it real interesting that uh, (coughs) the epistle that was written to the Colossians this is what Paul said. I'm writing you this letter and that's the book of Colossians, four chapters long and what he told the church at Colossae, he said listen I want you to read this letter and when you're done send it to Laodicea and by the way, the letter I wrote to Laodiceans, I think it may do you good to read that letter too. Revelations was being shared, going back and forth. Okay, So sister churches <coughs> can be a blessing. It can be a blessing. They're not a blessing when they come in and say, church, you're out of order, you got a new A, B, and C. You got it? They say, Brother Dolph, watch it. You're going in this direction. You might have thought to think twice about it. Still haven't read about the bars of fellowship. Got it? I haven't found it in here. Got it? And if you don't know what I'm talking, bless you. Okay? (laughs) Thank you. Okay. We want connection without control. We want fellowship without lordship. Okay. In Acts 20 and verse 17, Paul was in Miletus and he called for the elders of the church at Ephesus. I stress this, the elders at the church of Ephesus. A New Testament church that's fully functional, that's flourishing is going to have more than one elder. Got it? I would love for the Lord to bring up a young man. I would love for that young man to come along and grow, and then me step aside and let him pastor, and I turn around and I support him. Amen? Not put out to this senior citizen's home, stand up and support him. Got it? 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 8. This is what Paul did. He said, I robbed other churches and took wages to them to do you service. He was having trouble. He had trouble at a couple churches. He had trouble with a church at Thessalonica. And when he went there and he preached, and when he went to Corinth and he preached, he said, you know what? You're going to give me this financial gift. I don't want your money. But then he went to Philippians and he said, went there. He says, we want to give you this financial gift. And he said, thank you. What's the difference? Is he a schizophrenic? No, he's not a schizo. What he was doing is in Thessalonica, he had a church that was very lazy. And he did not want them to see him getting a handout from them. So what he did is he preached to them in the day and at night he made tents. And he did that because they were lazy. He was working a model. And there were times where he didn't have time to work at night, so these other churches, and like in Philippi, they were sending him some money, and he was taking the money because he wouldn't take it for Corinth, and he wouldn't take it from Thessalonica. It all depended on the situation. Churches are, are, are profitable that way. Okay. First Thessalonians one seven and eight. This is one of my favorite. Now, the Thessalonians were good in one sense. <clears throat> the Thessalonians heard the word and they believed it. And this is what it says. Ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia, so much so that we didn't even need to preach. Can you imagine going to a place and saying, hey, pastor, we'd like for you to come and preach to us. And I, there's this church, down in the other county, and we've been watching them and we've been watching them interact, and they've been sharing the gospel with us, and we're excited. So I go over there, and their testimony was so strong that when Paul got there, he said, I didn't even need to preach. Wow, what an easy preaching assignment that would be, right? How does that happen? Connection to churches. Got it? First Thessalonians 2.14, it says, Ye became followers of Judea churches and suffered like things of your countrymen. In other words, this is a situation where, you remember what I just explained happened in, in, in Jerusalem and those churches around the Jewish area of Judea? They couldn't get work, they became Christians, they couldn't get work anymore. It was a financial hardship. Well, the same thing happened in Greece. They were pagan, and all of a sudden they became Christians, and they couldn't get work. They had the cooties, yes. They they couldn't get work. Oh, one of those Christians, we're not hiring you. You can't work for us. You can't get a government job. You can't teach in our public schools. You're a Christian. You can't do that. So they had to send some funds down to this area to help them out because they, in a like manner, just like the Jews did to the Christians, the pagans were doing to the Christians also. Whoops. I want to jump ahead, I want one more point to make. I actually want to spend quite a bit of time in Acts chapter fifteen. This this is gonna be really important. But I do want to make this one point. In the three passages we've looked at so far where I've likened the church to a platoon, I've likened the church to a household, I've likened the church to a body. In each case there's a description there and it says you got a foundation. And the foundation is Jesus Christ, and the foundation is the apostles. And you think, well, that's got to be the universal church. That's got to be the invisible church. And I say, no, that's this church. How can that be? 1 Corinthians 4.17, I sent Timothy to bring you into remembrance as I taught everywhere in every church. Paul laid some doctrine out, which was the foundation of each local church. In 2 Peter 1-2, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. We have this, and it's founded on the words that were inspired by the Holy Spirit as the apostles wrote those. Amen? And then 2 Timothy 2-15, study approved unto God, needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This is our cornerstone, this is our rock. This is what I preach. I know this is offensive to so many people, but I don't care what you believe. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you feel. I want to know what God feels. I want to know what God thinks. I want to know what God believes. And the only place I know is where to find that. And I hope you say the same thing to me. I don't care, Brother Dolph, what you think or you feel or you believe. What does God think, feel, or believe? That's where we should be. And with that, we can say this church is founded on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ and on the the apostles and the prophets. All right. Let's go to Acts chapter 15. But before I do, I want to read the last three verses of Acts 14. Now, I want to talk about the local church. This is really, really important. And I want to talk about this foundation of where the church is established. I'm going to do some reasoning with you. Okay? In Acts chapter 10, Peter went and he preached to a man named Cornelius. And you think, what's wrong with that? That's a pretty good thing, right? Well, as far as I can tell, Cornelius was the first Gentile that was preached to and baptized. And when Peter did that, he came back to Jerusalem, and guess what happened? He got called on the red carpet. What are you doing baptizing a Gentile? Okay? And you can read all about this great big church meeting they had in chapter 11. And they got it all settled. And then a couple years go by, and then Paul starts preaching. And he starts preaching, and he starts baptizing people, and he starts churches, and word got out that he was baptizing people that were uncircumcised. Guess what happened to Paul? He got in all kinds of trouble. Okay? So I want to read this account, and I'm going to really reason with you. I want you to look at this. This is Scripture. At the very end of Acts chapter 14, the city Antioch is going to be really important. Okay? There's a church in Antioch and then sailed to Antioch from whence they had recommended to the grace (coughs) of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were come and had gathered the church together and rehearsed all that God had done with them, and now he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. (gasps) Paul, I can't believe you did that. So, got it, he's at the church at Antioch, and he says, the door's been opened to the Gentiles. Well, some people were happy, but some people were not. And there they abode a long time with the disciples. Now we're going to chapter 15. This is where all the fun starts. You ready? And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. I I know, Paul, you're you're baptizing these guys, they're believing, but you know what? They're they're, they're not heaven-bound until you circumcise them. This is something that carried on throughout the New Testament. We're going to end up in Galatians in just a second. Got it? When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension, that means they were really mad, okay? And disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. You see, there is a church head, and there's a church council. Uh Uh-uh, let's keep on reading and see what it goes. Okay? So, basically, Paul and Barnabas are operating out of the Church of Jerusalem. They are members of the Church of Jerusalem, and as they're ministering and as they're evangelizing, they say, you need to go back home, and we need to talk about this at your home church. Okay. Verse 3. And being brought on their way by the church and passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and the elders and declared all things that God had done with them. <clears throat> but there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed. Now these Pharisees are converts. They were converts, and they converted to Christian. They're a member of the Christian church at Jerusalem, but they were still holding on to their Jewish roots. Got it? And they said, uh oh, you can't go to heaven until you get circumcised. And I always laugh at this. I always, what about the girls? How do they get to heaven? It's never mentioned, right? Okay, that's just way my brain thinks. I'm sorry, but that's how I think. See, and that's what got me in trouble in Athens. Well, I, 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 I talked that plain. Verse 5. And there rose a certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, there were Christians, saying, that is needful for the circumcised then and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Because I'm going to skip to verse 7. And when they had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, Ye know how that well, a good while ago God made a choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of God and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving the Holy Spirit, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying the hearts of faith. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the necks of the disciples, whether our fathers not were not able to bear so here comes Peter, and they're having this great big dining, This it's, well, it's not a dining book, but it's a heated discussion. And Peter says, you know, way back in Acts chapter 10, we already been through this once. In my is God came unto me, and he told me to preach unto the Gentiles, and I baptized them, and I didn't circumcise them when I baptized them, and we got all that worked out. So what did Paul share? I'm sorry, not Paul. What did Peter share? He shared his experience. Keep that in mind. Peter shared experience, and that didn't settle the issue. Okay? What if we come together in a church, and we're having a decision about something, and the first brother stands up and says, well, this is my experience over the years, and we'll say, yeah, that's nice, but is that going to convince you? got it verse 11 but we believe that through the grace of the lord jesus christ we shall be saved even as they then all the multitudes kept silence and gave audience to paul and barnabas declaring the miracles and wonders god had wrought among the gentiles by them so paul and barnabas stand up and says let me share you my experience <clears throat> okay <coughs> surely this is going to seal the deal Declaring what miracle, okay, verse 13. And after they had held their peace, J- James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simon hath declared how God at first did visit the Gentiles and take, out, t- take the, a people for his name. And to this agreed the word of the prophets. You know what James did? What did James do different than Paul and Barnabas and Peter? Scripture. Amen. Thank you, sister. He said, let's go to the Bible. Peter, you can share all the experiences you want. Paul and Barnes, you can share your experience. James come up and says, let's see what the Bible says. What a novel idea. Okay? Guess what? Peter didn't settle the issue. Paul didn't settle the issue. You know who settled the issue? It wasn't even James. It was Scripture. So James is going to quote the Old Testament prophet Joel. And he's going to read it here. Um, Let's see. Verse 16. After this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles, upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things? Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world, wherefore my sentence is, that we trouble them not, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, <coughs> but that we write unto them that they abstain from the pollution of idols and from fornication and from things strangled with blood. So what James does is he quotes the Old Testament, and he says, God said the Gentiles are coming. And he says, the only thing we're going to carry forward is when you eat something, don't eat the blood. That's an Old Testament you can bring forward. And when I saw that, I saw a couple scrunched up faces. I'm glad you think that when you think about blood. The Lord would not do that, have us do that. Okay, so let me go forward. This is the important part, because I want to talk about a local church versus an invisible or a universal church. I want you to know what happens after this. This is really important. Then pleased that the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas named Barsabbas and Silas, chief of men among the brethren. And they wrote letters by them after this manner, the apostles and elders and brethren send greetings of the brethren, which are the Gentiles in Antioch in Syria and Cilicia. In other words, there was this great big disturbance in Antioch. Paul came there and he said, You don't have to get circumcised. These Jewish brethren went up there and says, Yeah, you do have to get circumcised. So they sent him a letter with a couple of witnesses. They go up there and they says, You know what? You don't have to get circumcised. So they got this letter. I jokingly call it the first Jerusalem Confession of Faith. Okay? They sent it up there. Sounds like a pretty powerful document, right? Is it church decree? Is it an oracle of God? Is it something that's going to refer to later on? The answer is no. Because what happens, I want to read this, but I want to get to the good part. Let me skip forward, okay? So so, so we're at the very end, and they send these letters up to Antioch, and the letters go up to Antioch, and they get the declaration of the apostles, and they have their statement on everything that goes happens. And then Paul and Barnabas go up to Antioch. This is verse 35, teaching and preaching the word of God with many others, and everything's fine. But then we fast forward and we go to Galatia, okay? And in Galatia, guess what happens? Peter and Paul are up there. Those are the two guys that gave their experiences, right? They're up there. And guess what happens at Galatia? He says, Who hath bewitched you? Paul went there and preached grace and said, It's by the Lord Jesus Christ. And along come some Jewish brethren and say, Nope, you got to be circumcised to go to heaven. Paul shows up and he confronts Peter because Peter's in the midst of this hullabaloo. And guess what Paul cites? The first Jerusalem confession of faith that was mailed up to them? The answer is no. You know what Paul quoted? He quoted scripture. If there was ever time to quote a church decree, this would have been it. The document would have been in the archives. Amen? And St. Paul, we already settled this, Peter? Remember we had that Donnie Brook down in Georgia or Jerusalem, and and you spoke up and you defended it, and I spoke up and defended it, and James got up there and quoted scripture, and we wrote these letters. Here's the letter, Peter, fall in line. No, that's not what he did. Paul used scripture. If there was a church hierarchy, this one would, one would have showed up. This is what Paul would have quoted. This is what Paul would have held Peter under the authority of. He never did. The only thing he held them under the authority was Scripture. So we at this local church is Scripture. It's funny. I, I kept talking about the local church. We are not a bank. I use the example of Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo is a national bank and they got branches all over the place. But you know what Wells Fargo does? It sets the rules in the agenda, the credit policies, the lending policies, the saving policies. It does all that. You know what it even does? It places the managers at all the different branches. We are not a branch of Wells Fargo. We're an individual. We're a body. We're autonomous we're fully functional. But at the same time, we are a human being and human beings are social creatures and we need the socialization. So how can you be socialized but also autonomous? I think just the way we're doing it. Amen? We are local a church, we have everything what we need, but there are times where because of our, the way God made us, our sister churches are a blessing to us and can be a blessing to us in many areas. God's likened us to a human body. It's kind of a crazy thing, right? So, we come together and he puts different gifts in this local church and I'm thankful for the gifts he puts in this local church. But at the same time, our sister churches can be a tremendous blessing, and they have been, and I hope we can be a blessing to others, right? Or next Sunday. thing that comes with the connections, but not the control. And I believe that's one of the reasons why we can go to First Corinthians chapter 12, and he like us, like us to a body. In one sense, we're autonomous, but in another sense, we're very social beings, and at the same time, is a local church. We can be autonomous, but we are also part of a local church, and we're connected with one another, and that's how we would have us. So we want to be different, but we don't want to stand out. May the Lord bless you. Thank you. <clears throat>